0: Welcome to the Highland Gospel Mission, a podcast to all nations. Each week, Pastor Keith will deliver a Holy Spirit-inspired message from Highland Southern Baptist Church to the rest of the world. If you have a Bible, we encourage you to read along and study the Word for deeper understanding. Now, here's Pastor Keith with this week's message. This is uh, the third
1: sermon in a one-sermon series. <laughs> Yeah, I said that correctly. I wasn't confused. <laughs> Approached this three weeks ago thinking I'm going to get it all done in one sermon. And here we are, the third one. We'll see how far we get today. It's got to be done today, though, because next week's Christmas, right? we got to talk about the baby in the manger. Amen? We've made it all the way up to chapter uh, to chapter 6, verse 10, and I'm going to start with verse 10. We're going to read through a few of those verses real quickly because we did cover some of those. When we get into the armor itself, we're going to stop, take a little closer look at, uh, at how the armor of God, what the intention is about the armor of God when he gives it to us. Now, uh, we all know simply what armor is. We know what its purpose is. But for him to put it in a spiritual application, it's it's kind of cool to look at personally because God's really good about taking these these examples or these metaphors and putting them together and them actually meaning loads to us. Um, And I I love when he uh, I love when he does it. But uh, the reminder at the beginning of this that we do not battle against flesh and blood. We we battle against evil to put it all under, uh, under one canopy. Uh, those show themselves in many different ways. Powers, principalities, uh, we know that even the power and the prince of the air of this world is who? Satan. For a time, God has allowed him to run around and do whatever it is that he desires to do, of course, within the limitations that God places on him, but he is allowed to do this in the structure of of what god is trying to accomplish in the world around us it has everything in the world to do with the kind of condition that we're in uh, how many of you guys have ever heard of the gauntlet you ever heard of the gauntlet we had a gauntlet we called it the gauntlet at Bates creek camp and uh, and it had to happen by request the cabin leader had to ask for it and uh, they would come usually to me and they would say hey uh, we'd like to run a gauntlet tonight i'm like okay, okay are you sure Yes, we're sure, because the whole deal about this is we don't want kids getting hurt, but we also don't want kids crying home to mommy if they didn't get hurt. You Know what I'm saying? So the church calls calls uh, calls us as we'd like to run the gauntlet. Well, you get guys lined up on both sides of this cabin with pillows. The guys who knew that this was coming typically pack feather pillows, which is not okay because they hurt. You'll hurt somebody with a feather pillow. <laughs> Somebody starts at one end and they run through the gauntlet while everybody who's standing on both sides pummels them with pillows. And the goal is to try to beat them down before they get to the end of the gauntlet. Kids aren't dumb. After the first few do this, you know what kids started to do? They started to go find things to cover their bodies with. Now, the question is why did they? Was it just that they didn't want to hurt? Is that why they covered their bodies? Why did they cover their bodies? How do you win? You got to go to the end. If you're beat down between beginning and end, you don't get the prize, you don't win. The surprising thing is, by the time the kid that had padded themselves gets to the other end of the line, the padding they've added is gone, they're already being beaten like crazy, but they did make it to the end of the line. So the point is, whether you make it to the end of the line or not, you're going to get beat up. how do you make sure that you get as far as you can to the end of the line? You put on your armor. You put on your armor. Because again, this armor will not keep you from getting hit. It will not keep you from being attacked in every way that we're going to talk about in a minute. It will not keep Satan from trying to do whatever he wants to do. But the armor will keep him from having victory in it in your life. It will keep Satan from having victory in it in your life. Do you hear me? As we look at these pieces of armor, each one of them specifically had a purpose. The first one was a simple one. And I want to point out again, as I did last week, that typically it was not, it's important that I point this out, typically it was not for... um, A military person, especially a Roman soldier who this is modeled after, uh, a Roman soldier didn't walk around all the time with all of his armor on. They didn't typically wear their helmet. They typically didn't wear their chest plate. And they typically didn't wear their heavy spiked shoes. Okay? When, when they were called to battle, that was when they went and got those three pieces and then put them on him. What is the first part of that armor? What does the first part of it say? Chapter 10? Does it say put on half the armor? Full. In other words, this is God saying, what? You're going to put your armor on just in case you're attacked? How long have you been on this planet? In case you're attacked. The enemy is who? Powers, principalities. Right. In case you're attacked, how many of you wake up in the morning and go, boy, I really hope I don't get attacked today? Because if you've lived this life, you honestly are getting up every morning and think, I don't know where this one's coming from. Well, if you don't know where it's coming from, guess what? Put the armor on. Put it on. I would much rather have it and not need it than to need it and not have it. So he says in 11, "...put on the full armor of God, that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God, that you may be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything to stand firm." And I'll point out here before we get into these pieces that he's saying this on purpose, that you have done everything to stand firm. How many of you guys have ever done something and you know you held back and at the point that it was finished, you was like, oh, I should have done more of this. I should have did better with that. I wish I had spent spend more time on that. This is saying, no, after doing everything you can to stand in other words you get to the point that you can't crawl do you know what Jesus expects to see just exhaustion exhaustion The evil day. Is it here? How hard is it to resist? And I'm asking you a serious question. Down in Sunday school class, we talked about something. It's kind of interesting. Why do people disagree so much? It's because each person is looking through their own eyes. Right? You are going to speak and think based on your exper- your circumstances when you were growing up, I'm going to think and speak based on my circumstances when I was growing up because this is the people that we have become, right? This is what Jesus is trying to replace. It's the habits that we've fallen into that are the experiences that have created a logic in our brain that is completely contrary to the faith. And you say, well, That means that everything that I think of is dangerous? No. Didn't say everything you think of is dangerous. But I am saying, we are incapable human beings under all circumstances. We're capable of nothing. What did Jesus say? I am the vine, you are the branches. You abide in me, and I in you. You will bear much fruit. Apart from me... You can do how much? Nothing. Nothing. When we stand before God, will we be people who can honestly say, did the absolute best that I could. I left it all on the field. I did everything Not that the preacher told you to or anybody else tells you to, but I did everything to the best of my ability that God told me to in my life. Because if we can honestly walk through life and be individuals who say that I did resist, I did do the best that I could, I absolutely used everything God gave me to do the best that I could, what regrets are there? Doesn't mean you were perfect. The best that you could means that you still utterly failed. It still means that you made mistakes. It still makes, means that it was imperfect. But it but what it doesn't mean is that you're a failure. Because we start looking at life as if we are individuals who are not. Honestly, how many things in life have you just could be honest with yourself, say I didn't even try? Didn't even try. We all have those things in our life. It was like, I didn't even try. And we know what I didn't try will actually produce in our lives. Not in the church. I'm talking personal here. Because that armor, it doesn't fit a body, a church body. It fits an individual. And I've said many, many times before, the strength of this church will be determined by the strength of its individual members. The weaknesses of the church will be determined by the weakness of its individual members it's not determined by the strength of God or how awesome would church be all the time it's not so the church goes through roller coaster emotional seasons because it's made up of people who are going through roller coaster emotional seasons so what's learning how i mean how hard should i try How hard should I try to do what God tells me to do? And how hard should you try to do what God tells you to do? Hard. Why? Because if God told you to do it, it's probably important. Did your parents ever tell you to do something? Did they ever tell you to do it just because they were being a jerk? Or were they actually trying to get something done? after doing everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, verse 14. Having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness... belt of truth you see back then everybody wore dresses I've said this many times before they're not dresses of course but they were very much like a dress I mean they were as restrictive as a dress so if your clothes were hanging down around your ankles and all of a sudden you needed to quickly move any direction you now have your legs tied together in a dress you can't stride every woman that i've that has experienced this you see women pulling their dresses up above their knees reason so they can run it lengthens the gait. it lengthens the stride having girded your loins with truth to gird your loins meant to take all of that extra cloth pull it up and tie it with a belt around your waist Well, why not do that when you need it? It's reaction time. Are you ready for battle? Did you put on the full armor of God or just half of it this morning? In other words, do you know why people girded their loins? Do you know why they tied their skirts up so they were ready to run in an instant? Could you imagine? Let's have a race. All right. I'll pick two people of equal as much as we can, equal speed. One of them will have their their uh, they will have their loins girded, tied up. The other one don't get to start until the firing shot. Don't get to start tying up their girding up their loins until the firing shot. Who wins the race? The one who prepared. But this isn't just any. This isn't just any belt. What is it? It's truth. It's the belt of truth. So this belt is not to make us quickly capable of reacting to any physical motion. This belt prevents us or I should say makes us more mobile when it comes to the lies that are being spoken to us and challenging the truth. If you tie it up with the truth, then you're running with the truth. If you run with the truth, then everything else that's in error falls behind. Breastplate of righteousness. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. What is that thing? You know what the word righteousness really means? To be right before God. That's what righteousness is. It is to be right before God, meaning he's not your enemy. Things are on the level. The breastplate of that righteousness, to be right before God, not only is a descriptive term that God will see us in, but is also a very physical term in that if we are people who are living our lives to be right in the eyes of God, then guess guess how good that is type of an effort is an individual who is righteous does good an individual who is righteous does the things that God wants them to do and if it is your breastplate what's it protecting your heart it's protecting all your vital organs but the most the one part that it will always cover the heart breastplate of righteousness protect your heart why how do you stay right before God what was David called a man after man after God's own heart you protect it by being a person who cares what God thinks desires to understand why he says the things that he says to us are good for us the desire to be able to see that everything that he tells us to do isn't just a bunch of commands to bark but it's actually lost people being saved that's what his heart is about and that's what our heart should be about and if our heart becomes bitter if it becomes angry if it becomes vindictive then those are the things that are absolutely destructive to Jesus' cause protect your heart Make sure that your heart stays right before God. Next piece. I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. I think you can. I think you can. Fifteen. Having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. your feet get to take you wherever you want them to take you to? The word shod, what does that mean? Um, shoeing a horse. Now, we, our shoes aren't intended to be permanent. I mean, they have shoestrings on them. How do you put a horse's horseshoe on? With a nail. Is it made to take off at night, put back on in the morning? No. Shod your feet. In other words, the gospel of peace is stuck to your feet permanently. Not something we get to say one day we're going to take off and maybe put it back on the next. To have your feet shod with the preparation of, of, of the gospel of peace Means that you are fixed on it. That it's not fluid. It doesn't move from day to day, week to week, month to month. That the gospel of peace is on our feet every day. You're seeing some consistencies in this with the differences between individuals? I, how many of you guys know any police officers? Know any police officers? Do you know any of them that hate body armor so much they won't wear it? I know a few. Yeah, I said that. I know of you. Preparation, prepar preparation of the gospel of peace, literally means this: to prepare for the gospel of peace. I run around calling homosexuals fags. And what's going to be the result of that? I'm definitely not preparing for the gospel of peace, am I? When we carry ourselves, and we walk where we walk, when we do what we do, the way that we do things has everything in the world to do with someone's ability to accept what we say, refuse what we say, decide they want more of our company, decide they want less of our company, or decide that they never want to see us again. It all goes back to intentionality. Because these people that we hope the gospel connects to, reminding everyone they're not the enemy. If you need to refer back up a few verses, you can to be reminded of who the enemy is. Verse 16 says, In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one. All of them. Shield of faith extinguishes all of the flaming missiles. Arrows. Shield of faith. How's the shield of faith interesting compared to the ones we've gone over so far? Well, and and most of them are, but this one... Is more mobile. This one has more points of use. In other words, you put a breastplate on, what's it good for? A breastplate. It can't be used for anything else. You can't use it for a helmet. It's too hard to take off, put back on the right location. It doesn't. It's not shaped the same. A shield is mobile. It gives somebody the ability to move to whichever direction the, the threat may be facing. Our faith is the only thing that provides us 360-degree protection. Because if your faith is greater than anything else then faith will always have an answer to the world's questions. It'll always have a response to the world's actions. Faith will always have another story to tell from a different perspective. Extinguishing all of the flaming arrows of the evil one. Redirecting them. Is that what it says? Redirecting those arrows. Maybe hitting targets that are worthy of being hit. Is that what it says? putting them out extinguishing them in other words what good is a flaming missile without a flame still a missile can it do damage yep can it do as much no in other words you don't have the power to take satan's powers away he's always going to be allowed to have influence Oh. But how aggravating if what he wants to do is burn you and you keep putting his arrows out. All he wants to do is burn you. And because of that faith, everyone that he shoots at you, he shoots at your family members, he shoots at your friends. You're out there with your faith like a water pistol as they go by putting the fire out. Who we're supposed to be. kind of funny that he says the beginning of that in addition to all in other words hey if you carry your shield of faith you don't need to wear your breastplate right the shield's gonna protect your chest you just gotta keep in front of you right why would you do that so The shield of faith without the breastplate of righteousness, more or less powerful. The shield of faith with the breastplate of righteousness, with the helmet of salvation, with the belt of truth, with iron-shod boots. Would you honestly, if you were going into battle, and somebody said, go put your armor on, Walk into a room that has six pieces of armor in it, put on one and walk out. Because the truth is, that's what I see the church in this modern day as. I'm not talking about Highland, I'm talking about the church as a whole. I know a lot more people out there than I do in here. Verse 17. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The helmet of salvation. What does the helmet protect? Protects your head, protects your brain, protects your mind, it protects your thought processes. The helmet of salvation? Why would he call it the helmet of salvation? Well, it's pretty simple. Your head needs to know that Jesus Christ is the one that provided you with that salvation. And then it needs to be locked down so that nothing can access it to contaminate it, to contaminate that information in your head. The helmet of salvation protects your brain, it protects your mind, it protects your thought processes. In other words, are you a believer in Jesus Christ? Do you die on the cross for your sins? Is there absolutely no doubt in your mind that he is your savior and your king? Because if there's no doubt, you get something worth protecting. Because if you don't protect it, guess what comes in? Doubt. Doubt. And what does the Bible tell us about people who doubt the Lord? He says they're a double-minded man. Double-minded. Either he is who he is or he isn't who he isn't. Either he can or he can't. He does or he doesn't. He doesn't need us to say out loud what we believe because our bodies and our lives, they will manifest what it is that we believe. But if we've taken the information God's given us and the protection for our heart, the protection for our mind, our feet being prepped with the intentionality of preparing the soil for the, for, the, for the peace that the gospel provides, for us to be individuals who, instead of being people who are on the defense, we're people who are on the offense. Instead of us worrying about how we're going to bunker in, start worrying about how we're going to get into the groups of people who need to hear the gospel because we're terrible about looking at people as our enemies the sword of the spirit which is the word of god the word of god is referred to as a double-edged sword it separates the bone from the marrow in other words it is very very accurate the difference is anybody ever cut up deer meat or cut up any kind of meat Use a nice sharp blade. That blade will cut that meat. It'll be just a nice clean cut. But you take a dull blade and you cut it, what happens? Rips, tears, it, it, it just roughs the edges up where, where the cut's happening. The double-edged sword means God's very specific. He knows. You know those tumors that people talk about that people can't get to because they're in the part of the brain that somebody can't reach? Yet yeah, God's not limited by that. The sword of truth is is the word of God. And it will always have its intended effect. One way or the other. God's word will not return void. Amen? So if it comes out, it will have an effect. And its intended effect. The effect that Jesus knew was coming. The sword... is only one of two pieces of this entire war getup that is offensive. What's the other one? Give me the next slide, Randy. You see it? With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all of the saints. There's our second offensive part. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. What's the difference between praying at all times and praying at all times in the Spirit? I'm sure that you've done it both ways because everybody's imperfect. And how many of you guys have just prayed because you wanted to eat? In other words, it was a hurdle you needed to remove in order for you to get to what it was that you really wanted. All of us at one point in our life have done that. We've been in a hurry to eat. We've been in a hurry to go somewhere before we eat. There have been times that we even passed on our prayer. When he says, With all prayer and petition, prayer at all times in the Spirit, praying, praying in the Spirit means that we are driven by the relationship and not by dinner. We're driven by our relationship and not by circumstances. In other words, I don't just pray to God when I have a problem. He should be the first one that I'm talking to when I open my eyes in the morning. He's real enough that he sits across the table from me and eats breakfast. He sits in the truck next to me all day long. You'd think I ought to know the guy by now, right? Pray. That's within our relationship. But you'll notice that he kind of separates it in there. Pray in the spirit. With this in view, with this in view, be on the alert. With all perseverance and petition for all the saints. With this in view, pray for everybody else. What does he mean by with this in view? You know the enemy that attacks you on a daily basis? He's not unique. The same one that attacks Doug, attacks me, attacks Rosie, attacks Kevin, attacks teenagers, attacks little kids. Same one. It's the exact same one. So if the full armor of God is necessary for me to be able to function safely within this environment, then how good is it for everybody else? Pretty much tells it, right? I mean, if God says it's good for the preacher, is it good for the church members? God would never say something's good for a preacher and then turn around and go, oh, but you church members can't. Matter of fact, it's the other way around. He's usually more lenient with the church members and or strict with the, with the preachers. But pray, and he says, within view, be on the alert, with all perseverance, petition for all of the saints. In other words, everybody is fighting the same battle that you're fighting. They may be fighting it on a different plane. They may be fighting it in a little bit of a different way. That it was attacked. That their own their own lives are being attacked. But the truth is, every one of us are being are being attacked by the same enemy. He's the same one, and it takes the exact same. When you see somebody that's got bronchitis, they go, they go to a doctor, they give them some amoxicillin. You send somebody else to the doctor who also has bronchitis, is that doctor going to give them a pack? Just gave the last person amoxicillin. He's probably going to give the next person amoxicillin too, right? Unless there's an allergy or something going on, he's going to continue to follow a pattern. We as believers in Jesus Christ, the same things work for us because the instruction's all the same. In other words, God told me to love my wife as Christ loved the church so much that he gave his life up for her. He also told Doug the same thing. He didn't mean two different things to two different people. We both should be getting the same point. And in anything in Scripture, we talk about the armor of God. Guess how many of us have armor available? All of us. Guess how many of us need it? All of us. Guess how many of us understand, or I should say, guess how many of us should understand what each part of that armor represents? All of us. Why? Because it applies to us all exactly the same. The Bible talks about one mind, one spirit. This is how it happens. It happens by us being individuals who agree to the relationship on level ground and we do everything that we can to protect each other. Not to protect each other from consequences of our actions because we learn from our consequences. But to protect each other by helping to instruct each other how to live life motivated by an ounce of prevention is better than a pound of cure. Some people need to some people need to hurt to make a to, to learn a lesson. Most people don't. At least not too much. The price for your salvation and mine was paid in full. Jesus didn't intend for salvation to start for us at death. He intended eternal life to start for us the day that we trusted in him. And life at its fullest that Jesus has promised has always been available. He's not taking it off the table. And if we're not living it, then the answer, we, the question we need to answer is why? When you leave and go home today, I want you to look at this passage of scripture again, and I want you to go and look in front of the mirror and ask yourself this question: What part of what parts of the armor did you not put on this morning? And is there any chance that the way that you're feeling right now has something to do with it? I've wore Kevlar. The amazing thing is. You can put shin guards on, you feel better. Right? Oh, you put forearm guards on, you feel a little better? Kevlar on. Good pair of snake-proof boots. Should I be getting more confident? So ask yourself. Which piece of armor did you leave home this morning? And just how much did not putting that one piece of armor on affect your entire day? Ask you today, if you're here today and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, life is always full of opportunities. The armor that, that, uh, that the Apostle Paul wrote that we should be putting on, this armor that Jesus Christ himself provided to us through his death, burial, and resurrection, that armor is necessary for the sake of your happiness and your protection don't beat yourself up don't hold anything against yourself just during this invitation time be honest between you and god where are you at and then have that conversation with him if you've never placed your trust in Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior, and it's something that the Holy Spirit encourages you to do, don't do it because this preacher asked you to. Don't do it because somebody else is pressuring you to. You only do it if the Holy Spirit moves you to do it, and you will know if the Holy Spirit moves you to do it, because it's unlike anything that you could ever create or anybody else could either. Salvation is simple. A life, not so much. If you have a decision to make, don't leave this place today without making it.
0: Amen. Thank you, Brother Keith. And for those listening on the podcast, I want to offer that same opportunity to you to come to the Lord. If you've never placed your trust in Jesus, now is the time to do so. By default, we are all sinners separated from God, and there is nothing we can do on our own to fix that. That's why God sent his only son, Jesus, to come live a life without sin. He was put to death on a cross as a perfect sacrifice for that sin. And to seal the deal, he came back from the dead three days later. If you truly believe that and ask him into your heart, you will be saved. If you're already a believer, this is a great opportunity to recenter your life in Christ. Take these next few minutes in prayer, and I'll be praying. listening if you have questions about becoming a christian discipleship or if you have prayer requests you can visit us at facebook.com forward slash highland southern bc have a blessed week and go and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit the highland gospel mission was produced by zach link with preaching by keith baron music provided by pixabay under creative commons